It is with great excitement that in 2021, we are blessed to have two new sponsors for the CT Startup Podcast. One of those sponsors is CT Next, an organization each one of our hosts, as well as many of our guests and listeners have had the opportunity and pleasure of interacting with. I'm going to let Glendalyn Thames, Deputy Commissioner of the DCD and Founding Executive Director of CT Next, explain what CT Next does for early stage businesses here in Connecticut. So what is CT Next? Our, our mission um, fundamentally is really to equip early stage companies and entrepreneurs with resources, guidance, um, networks to accelerate their, their growth um, and, and really creating an environment where our entrepreneurs can really start their business, grow their business and thrive in Connecticut and positioning Connecticut as the most desirable location in the country for an innovative company to build and grow and create jobs. And we do this, uh, you know, a few different ways, right? Um, one by, you know, really cultivating a network of public-private partnerships and really acting as a catalyst um, that supports entrepreneurs from ideation and growth to exits. Um, but then also, you know, providing direct funding to companies as well. So we have many programs um, that are non-dilutive capital to help accelerate kind of the early stages of growth of a company. Um, and then, you know, we we offer uh, other programming relative to, you know, again, building that, that, in, that community infrastructure across our state. So if you think about, you know, incubators, accelerators, co-working spaces where that, that dynamic knowledge sharing is happening and where kind of innovation actually starts and, and occurs. For more information, please visit www.ctnext.com. This is CT Startup, your source for information on entrepreneurs, investors, and resources in the Connecticut startup ecosystem. From university campuses to industrial labs, from Stanford to Hartford, and from Danbury to Norwich, if it's happening out there in Connecticut, you'll find it in here. Welcome to CT Startup. All right. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the CT Startup Podcast. Um, one of the things that we've wanted to try to do uh, with these new series of podcasts this past year is to kind of uncover some um, resources for people uh, that are thinking about starting a business or already have a business to, um, to really kind of scale to, to the next stage. And this podcast is, is one of those. Um, we're going to be talking to somebody who I got the pleasure of interacting with a little bit last year when I was uh, with Techstars. And the, the book that we're going to be talking about is called Levers, the framework for building repeatability into your business. And we have one of the authors here, Amos Schwartzfarb. How are you doing, Amos? Good. How are you doing today? Good, good. So, uh, it, it, you know, like we're, before we got on the podcast, we were talking about how time flies and everything. And it's kind of crazy because like we were, you know, six months ago talking about your, your other uh, book that you uh, selling more faster. And now you have this one coming out and everything. And, and so uh, I do appreciate you uh, being with us today. Yeah, thanks so thanks so much for having me back, and it's good to uh, get to see you again. So I, I gotta ask, I gotta you know people you know books nowadays. Like I first of all, first uh, probably I will say like second or third book book I've read in the past couple uh, couple of months. I'm an audiobook person, right? So I gotta ask, why a book? Why not a podcast? Why not other other kind of medium? But like, why did you put think about putting out this book? Yeah, there's a there's a few reasons. Um, and I think maybe embedded in your question is why not? Why don't we have an audio version of it yet? Um, so the, the reason that we decided to do a book, there's a few reasons why we decided to do a book versus like a, a blog or a podcast. And the, you know, probably the biggest reason is that, and as you read it, you know, this is really more of a book that you do versus read. So, you know, probably like the typical person will read it and like halfway through, they'll realize like they should be doing stuff all along. We actually say that up front. So you can kind of read through it once. It's a quick read and then you go back and you do it step by step. And we felt like that, in, given that that was the goal of the book is to ha actually give something to people that they can use and do, having that artifact that they can write notes in and refer back and forth really easy was, was important. Um, and, you know, we did, we did do a, a digital version, which, you know, you can do a lot of the same things on, 
what, there's two reasons why we didn't do an haven't done an audio version yet. That the primary one is that, which is it's a lot harder to have that interaction with it. Uh, but the, you know, candidly, the second one is I you know I have um, for some more faster. We did a, a hardcover, um, a Kindle version, and an audio book. And we did the audio book because we were getting like these these snippets of demand. And my experience was like, you know, I think like of the thousands of copies of, you know, tens of thousands of copies of Somewhere Faster that have, that have sold, um, of like 2% of them were audio. <laughs> so like they're the people that want audio want it very loudly, but most people seem to still want to like have something to read. At least that was my experience at the, you know, across everything. But given that this book is such a deal book, we just decided for now to not do an audio and we may revisit that later. Yep. And, and listen, that's, you, you kind of hit on it a little bit is that the levers of, of, uh, this business uh -oh. is not audio, right? It's not, it's not, it's not going through audio and everything like that. So, um, so that's all good. And yeah. I will attest that it is a good book to take notes in, uh, and, 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 uh, kind of refer back to, uh, I read it through. And the thing is that I know that I'm going to go back and now do the work, the, the workshops, right. And actually do the, the lessons with, with my business because, um, and we're going to get to it. Um, I'm going to have to scrap my financial model because just like I, I think, um, uh, Trevor mentioned, he, he's like, he's like, you can steal somebody else's, you can modify, but the technical kind of debt that you're going to, uh, and I'm, I'm 100% running into that, um, with, with my financial model at this point. So, um, so I get it. Like, it's just like, ah, oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It was, it's Troy, it's Troy who actually, who said that. And I remember the first time I heard him, the words come out of his mouth, you know, Troy and I've been working together for a long time on, on, on stuff, particularly around text and tech stars. I didn't believe him. Not that I had done it one way or the other before, but I'm like, nah, you know, like how different can a financial model really be, right? This is going back a number of years. And, you know, fortunately, Troy has been a big teacher to me in this area. Um, and it is it is true because even like two SaaS businesses that are side by side, the things that actually make them operate aren't going to be the same for lots of different reasons. Some that are obvious and some that are less obvious, right? Like your stage, your, your the, the team makeup, where the strengths or weaknesses are on the team, like the way that you're approaching the market, like the, your location in the, in the world, all these things are going to have these subtle effects into how the business actually operates. And I think, you know, you, you strike on something early on, which is there's this notion, I think for most people that a financial model is this financial tool to tell you that the current state and health of the business, when in reality, and especially as an early stage company, but in no matter the stage, really what your financial model is, is a, is a crystal ball into what the future of the business will be. And no, and no two businesses are identical. Exactly. And uh, yeah. And uh, again, uh, there's a lot of aha moments in, in books and that was one of them in this one. I was like, oh, yep, I got to, I'm going to have to uh, revisit this. So, um, you know, you got to do it. So before we hop into kind of like the, cause the, the book is, is nicely kind of broken down into the workshops and you are correct. I mean, you call it out each time you're like, stop right now, do this because if you don't move forward, uh, you know, um, it's not going to make sense or, you know, it builds on top of each other. But Let's let's kind of step back for a second. The last the last year, like a lot of people have just been, you know, uh, you know, just craziness. Everybody's kind of rethinking things and stuff. But like, what's your opinion on starting a business right now? Is still is now still a good time to start a business? I think yes, I, I do. I think I think now is as good of a time as any. I think the the there there's a bunch of layers in your question, which is you know, I have a bias to, to why someone should, there's lots of reasons for people to start a business, right? I have a bias, particularly for people who are solving something that is a pain for, you know, maybe not for them personally, but something they've experienced and have some sort of personal um, experience with versus um, some, you know, someone who wants to be a business owner, they don't know what they want to do. So they search for the, the opportunity that they think exists. There's reasons I have that bias, but that's personal to me. But I think, you know, for the former, there's never, in my opinion, there's never a bad time to start a business because you're in, if you're in the middle of the worst economic crisis in the world and you're feeling this pain and you believe you can solve it, and by solving it, you'll be able to help people and also make some money, it's an awesome time to start it because you're creating a great opportunity. And I think, you know, I, I've had this, that is the way that I've invested for a long, long time. And, you know, I had just as much fear as everybody come the beginning of the pandemic. I'm looking at, you know, I think 58 active companies in my portfolio and I'm wondering, scratching my head, 
how many are going to be around in a year from now? And I, I sort of like took stock and, 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 you know, looked at sort of everyone one by one on my own as a case, sort of made a guess on what that might look like. And um, it was a higher number than I would have thought not looking at it. And it turns out that that it's even better than I expected. And the reason is just that, like most of the companies I'm invested in are actually doing better than they were before the pandemic for a few reasons. One of them is because they've followed this process. And so they were, they were ready for change. They understood their business. But another is they're solving real problems for real people. And those problems, you know, maybe they changed, but they didn't go away. And so they were able to lean into the changes because the changes came to the surface. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm also going to, uh, I'm uh, like, uh, I think I told you uh, before, I just had a, uh, a uh, um, little gathering at my house for my one year old's birthday. And, you know, sometimes I forget to introduce people. All right. And so actually I kind of, I kind of skipped over like why, why you are actually in this, in this vision. So you're an investor, you've been a serial entrepreneur and you're also a man- managing director at Techstars Austin uh, Accelerator. Correct. So give us a little, just a little bit of, of kind of just like your, your quick pitch of like where you, where you were and where you are now in, in, uh, in terms of your career. Okay. Um, so I, I started uh, in the startup world. Um, well, I, and I didn't look, view it this way, but really in the mid nineties, uh, you know, I had been out of college a few years and, you know, my, all of my, or really all of my startup experience, but especially my early startup experience was based around where I was in my life and the things that were interesting to me. I actually never rose my hand and said, hey, I want to be an entrepreneur. I just really was looking for a paycheck to do other things. And I found myself in early stage companies. And, you know, it turns out I, it's an area that, you know, that suits me well. So for around 20 years, I was building, um, I helped build several companies. Um, and so six in total, five of them exited for, you know, I don't know, a lot, close to a billion dollars for five of them. The very last company that I founded actually was not successful. And, um, and I, I look at that as very positive for a lot of reasons. One, I had a string of five really successful companies in a row. I needed a wake up call. I learned probably as much from that one as I did from the other five combined. Uh, and because of that, it, I, I'm here or, you know, I, I, I got the, the job working at Techstars. Um, and there was a couple of reasons why that happened in that way, but it, had that company been successful, I mean, maybe I would have, you know, made a bunch of money there, but I would not have ended up here at Techstars, which I, I love to do. So I, I landed at Techstars just about six years ago. I've run six programs. I'm getting ready to run my, my seventh. Um, I've been doing that for a while. And then through that process, I started to realize a couple of things. One, that there are some areas that I'm uniquely, because of my, my startup experience, I'm uniquely qualified to speak on inside of Techstars, which made me realize, okay, maybe I have, you know, I have things to share outside of Techstars too with the audience of people that, you know, don't, you know, uh, don't go through Techstars. So that's somewhere faster and, and the book levers. And so I started to, uh, I didn't really, uh, I will tell you, it was not on my bucket list to write a book, much less a business book, much less two. I don't know that I have a third one in me, but it was, these are the things that I think I, you know, I've sort of done well in my career and wanted to just have impact a larger group of people. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, listen, help trying to get business to have a repeatability is, is huge. Right. So I'm, I'm glad that you kind of, uh, you know, uh, put out the second book because that's the biggest thing. Cause everybody is like, I'm a part of a startup, but are you repeated, like repeatedly doing something to bring in money and to kind of grow, grow your business? Um, so that is a, that is a good thing that you, uh, you step forward in here. So one thing that I remember from, from uh, school is like the five w- or the five W's, I think. It's like who, what, where, when, why, right? But your book starts off with the W3, right? So kind of go through the W3 workshop and, you know, why it's important for, for uh, entrepreneurs to ask, them, uh, ask themselves these questions. Yeah, so on, on the surface, they're very, very simple questions. And the question is, who is your customer? What are they buying from you? And why are they buying it from you? Right. And, and I think, you know, the way that I, I think it's good to like as, a, as an entrepreneur, as someone starting a company, you have a, a you believe a very clear idea, but I'll call it like you have a very clear, vague idea of the answer to those three questions. And it's a great starting point. And really what the what the workshop and the book walk you through is how do you get those first customers? How do you learn enough about those customers so that you can start to figure out how do you get repeatability 
in growing that um, so that eventually you can have all the customers. And the way that we talk about it is your early, early list of customers you're going after. And even if you're a consumer business, the type of consumer you're going after, it should feel very narrow and restrictive to you because what you're trying to do is figuring out how do you get a yes 100% of the time and then listing out all of the attributes of that person or that buyer or that user. And once you understand that list of attributes, your ability to, and that might take you a long time, but your ability to expand into your entire total addressable market becomes much quicker because you actually understand all of the nuances of the of the person who says yes 100% of the time. And you can, like, if you're really good at metrics driven, you can start to figure out, okay, if I move these attributes around, I'll get a yes 90% of the time. If I move these around 80% of the time, or how does it inform my product roadmap? How does it inform the technology I need to develop over time? So you, you end up learning a whole bunch more just by getting really narrow and specific early on, which frankly, and as you, you know, you probably experienced yourself, it can be very uncomfortable as an entrepreneur to feel like you're, you're limiting your ability to sell. Um, there's a whole other things we can sort of peel back here, which are you know, more somewhere faster than, than levers, which is um, yes, but you're also increasing your, your, um, your potential for success in the long term versus finding yourself in a cycle where you're stressed about how do you make the next sale when in reality, early on, what you're trying to do is how do you figure out how to get to re repeatability in sales? And then those are not the same thing even though they sound very similar. Yeah. And that is a stressful kind of a thing. Cause like, you're just like, I need to sell another client. I need to bring more money. And I get it. And it's just, it, it's one of those things where um, if you can't, again, bring them, if you're always creating a bespoke, you know, uh, product for each new customer that you're talking to, there's no repeatability there. It's just, you're just kind of going through this process of just like, I'm going to take, you know, the, the idea of bad money <laughs> is something that really, you know, like sometimes the money that comes in for that customer is going to drag you down, not accelerate you. Right. Because mm -hmm. all, a, but a, a host of different reasons because of that. So, um, it's, uh, it's one thing where, again, you got to really understand why you're coming to this, this situation. And, uh, you, you mentioned it before, and it's like one of those things about, or in, in the book, you mentioned is that it's like if you're not willing to do the work if you're not willing to have like like get into the trenches with this like maybe you should stop now like it's like it's okay you can go get a job like it's it's not a failure to go get a job but you know just know that's gonna be very tough and it's gonna be an iterative process that you're just gonna have to keep going back to right yeah. um <laughs> yeah. so um so you know on that you know uh kind of the next chapter that, that we kind of go to and this is this is one where i actually um this resonated with me because a lot of people say like, okay, what's your business model? Oh, you have a SaaS company. Oh, you have a retail business. You have this, right? And you're like, well, I'm, I don't know if business model is the right thing, right? You, you talk about more of like, what's your revenue formula? Like, how are you going to bring in money? Why is that a big thing for you? And at least from, a, uh, you know, having it in your head is like, I need to create my revenue formula. I don't need to create my business model right now. Or I don't need to kind of just, you know, harp on my business model. Yeah. So uh, let me preface my answer with, with this, which is, I, and I feel, I always feel like I need to say this because um, it's such a math oriented answer. I didn't go, like, I didn't go to business school. I, I have never taken a single class in finance ever. Um, I wasn't a math major. I, I've always been really good at math, but I actually stopped taking math in 10th grade because I didn't have to take it anymore. Um, I was an English major. So in some ways the complete opposite. Um, but really at, at its core, uh, every business is nothing more. The underlying pieces are nothing more than a giant calculus equation and your revenue formula, the, the intention of your revenue formula is to say, what is the math equation that actually runs your business? And there's a lot of different ways we can say that. What's your company dashboard, right? What's your business model, right? They're all sort of synonymous with one another here. We use the, the, the term revenue formula because really the way we think about it is, there's a math equation and it's, it's a simple math equation. It's algebra that runs your business, right? It's, you know, A times B times C times D equals revenue, right? And understanding A, B, C, and D, or maybe it's A, B, and C, maybe it goes to F, but understanding those things, which is your company dashboard, suddenly gives you the ability to understand what are the things you need to make repeatable and how do you do it? And the how do you do it are the, is to what you're alluding to, which is, you know, for everyone listening, if you can close your eyes for a second and picture a math equation, which is your business, every value in that equation has a, a, a dozens of underlying drivers and sub drivers. And those are the things that you actually need to go do, prove, build and research in order to figure out how do you make any value? How do you move? How do you control any value 
and what can't you control? And so over time, you learn all the things you can and can't control in the given environment, and then you learn how to control them. And then as long as the environment doesn't change, like a pandemic doesn't happen, you know what you need to do to continually grow your business. And then if something happens, it also gives you the ability to very quickly say, okay, actually what is broken? Like you say, oh, sales is broken because blah. No, but you, you can actually get into the nitty gritty detail of these kinds of customers don't work anymore. And here's why they don't work anymore. So we need to go after a different customer or here's why our product isn't the right product anymore. And here are the nuances that we need to go change or to evolve. Yeah. And, and uh, the way you, the, uh, again, this is, this is a book that you need to see in person, like, you know, not necessarily on the screen or, uh, or through the audio, but it's just like one of those things where, again, when you lay it out, it's a roll up of all these other factors, then it goes to this one number and that's your algebraic equation, right? Uh, I, I want to say like Y equals MX plus B, but that's, you know, <laughs> you know, again, one thing I remember from school. Um, so, um, so yeah, so that, again, it's, it's, uh, it, it makes it a little bit simpler in, in my mind, at least, you know, going like, again, I've read a bunch of different books, lean startup, this, that, and the other thing, which is you reference it hundred percent. Like it's one of those things where a lot of these books build on each, on each other. Right. And just give you another kind of frame of reference for you to kind of, again, put this very uh, amb ambiguous kind of vague kind of uh, uh, mission that you're on as an entrepreneur to, to find something that, uh, that is repeatable. Um, and so that's uh, that it's interesting and it, it allows you to um, do something a little bit more um, uh, you know, again, a business model is like, I, I have a software uh, SaaS as a software or software as a, a service. And, but that doesn't give you, that doesn't tell you again, how you're going to get to where you want to be or how you're going to kind of put that vision into the world and, and so forth, which you get into a little bit later is just like who we are, why are we doing, doing this and so forth. So there's one thing that I, I know my company um, early on. So my, my business, we've been around. Um, it's kind of one of those things where uh, you look back and go, oh my God, it's been eight years and we're still here. You know, it's, it's like, and, and even some of our customers after the pandemic, it's like, well, you're still here. Like, and that's, a, you know, you were able to survive it. Um, it's one thing that we definitely thought about what are the processes that we need to put into place to, to make this business work. Right. Um, and in your, what you guys are saying, and I think this was a uh, Cody's uh, section of the book, which is, I like how you have, it's like you have four people coming together, creating this book and kind of putting everybody's insights in, in together. So that was a uh, cool, um, but it, you guys have this like little thing where uh, it's almost uh, uh, prioritization over process. Why? Why is that? Why? Why do you? Why do you kind of go take uh, that approach? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I've never answered the question this way before, but but I, we've talked about it, which is, you know, we're we are at the end of the day, we are all very process oriented people, but but we believe that priority drives process and not the other way around, and we don't believe in process for process sake. Right. Like there, you have to understand how to, something can be repeatable. And then you put a process in place to, to, to make that repeatable process more efficient. Um, and so, and, and, you know, a lot of times I think, and by the way, we fall into this all the time too. Sometimes it's, it feels comforting to create a process, even if it's a simple process, but then you realize that process it, because, it, because it gives you, it feel, it makes you feel like you've accomplished something. And then you put that process in place and you realize like, oh, it's the wrong process because we put, there's a whole bunch of stuff we didn't know that we, we, we thought was validated and, and, and actually it wasn't, or we thought it was a priority and actually it wasn't, which is leading into, you know, the, the, the third chapter or the third step in, in the framework, which is, we call it um, validating your hypotheses. And, and so the exercise takes you through, um, it does, the first thing is it says, what are all the hypotheses that you have in your business? 90%, 85% of those are going to come from the work you've done from chapters one and two, W3 and revenue formula. Most of them are going to come from there, but you're going to have things that you didn't think about. And by the way, when those come up, add them in to W3 and revenue formula as you realize them, but it, it basically gives you the whole list of the, of the world, your business as it exists today. The second step is to figure out what is actually validated and what's not validated. Um, because if it's validated, then you kind of know what to do. And if it's not validated, you've got to go validate it before you go do a bunch of work. And then the, the third part of that is to say, okay, now that you know what you have validated and what you don't, what's actually high priority and what's low priority. And, and we, by the way, we fall into this too. It turns out most people are almost always working on validated low priority things. 
doesn't mean they don't have one or two high priority things that they're working on, but they just, because it's easy to do that and it's comforting and you feel like you're accomplishing something versus like the uncomfortable things. And so really it, the, the result of this is you've seen, and if you read the book, you'll see it, there's this quadrant and it, and it breaks it out into your high priority, low priority, validated, unvalidated assumptions. What we profess is you should be building your business around and running your business around the high priority validated assumptions. And you should be doing things to validate or invalidate your high priority unvalidated assumptions. And you shouldn't be working on anything else, especially as an early stage company, because you just don't have the time or resources. And so when you look at that list and you find yourself working on low priority stuff, validated or not, you have to stop and ask yourself why and do you need to reassess the validation or the, the priority process that you went through or do you need to reassess your own your own um to-do list and so one the way you're talking is like your your you know your process and everything we're talking about like the company right so you know when you're talking about validating validating hypothesis i mean and you mentioned it like you got to bring everybody together everybody's going to have different assumptions different priorities different things that they're that they're staying awake at night thinking about right um so it's one of those things where you know you got to put it all on the paper put on your post-it notes and like figure figure it all out and then go you have to go through the process of figuring out which one is actually validated and which one isn't and then it is uncomfortable because Sometimes it's, uh, it's like beating your, uh, your, your head against a wall. You run into a brick wall and you can't get further. Right. And then you have to start from scratch again. And sometimes, you know, some of us entrepreneurs, we love that process. Some of us others kind of, you know, don't like that process and want to get to kind of stability. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, again, validating your hypothesis, creating, uh, some tests around it. That's, I, I assume that kind of comes from like the lean startup kind of realm and, and kind of some of the other books that kind of have, uh, come out before about again, uh, creating experiments, right experimental design and stuff like that. Um, so one thing that uh, I kind of, uh, that I really like what, what Cody mentioned about is that, and I've fallen into this, and I think that one thing about uh, um, business books and, you know, is that when you're reading it, you can be like, oh, you, you can like, it kind of triggers a memory of when it happened to you. And when, and when you went through that process or you kind of ran into that, uh, that issue. And for what I'm going to bring up now is that, pitching investors, bring on investors. They want to know your product roadmap, right? And they want to understand where you're going, how these new iterations are going to be coming out. But then, you know, two quarters later, when something uh, gets invalidated or validated, you know, um, and you change your product roadmap, those investors are like, whoa, 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 hold on. You guys said you were going to do X, Y, and Z. You said you were going to have this kind of new product in, in quarter three or whatever, but now you're changing. Like, And for, for me, it was like our investors were like, hold on, you're making like a 180 you're doing a huge pivot. You can't do that. You said you were going to, you, you know, you said you were going to build this product. Well, we found out that the customer didn't want that product and they didn't use that product. So why are we going to keep building it? Right. And for them, it was a huge, like, like, and I mean, that goes to the, the savviness and, and kind of the expertise of an investor, but you, you, uh, Cody mentions like a learning roadmap. What's the difference between a learning roadmap and a product roadmap? Yeah. So I, yeah. <laughs> You know, the, 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 the simplest way to describe it is, you know, product roadmap says, here's what we're going to do and when. That's simple. As if you know all the answers already. A learning roadmap is we believe some things, we're going to go learn and test them, and we're not going to build anything until we validated the thing that we believe to be true. And, you know, particularly as it pertains to not real, not just investors and board members, but even the getting the credibility and the confidence of your staff is we don't have, you know, being really transparent, we don't have all the answers, but here's what we believe today. And here's why we're going to go validate this. We're going to go learn whether we're right or wrong. And when we learn that, we're going to use that to move and unlock the next thing. And, and then you, down the road, we may learn something we didn't anticipate learning, which is everybody wants this product, but no one's going to, uh, to prioritize it because of X, Y, and Z. Okay, well, that wasn't something easy to validate until we got to this point for whatever reason. Um, and now we have to, to, now that we've learned something new, we have new information, how do we take that information and do something with it? So that, to me, that's the, the, you know, the simplest way to describe the difference. We're going to do something and when versus we're going to learn something so that we know what to do and why and how to continually evolve it. Mm -hmm. To end up getting to that revenue formula or validating that revenue formula, right? Because it gets broken down and you're making different assumptions about it, customer acquisition, how, you know, the churn rate, all that good stuff, right? Um, I know, again, from my experience is that 
we always thought technology is like the, the, everybody wants something that's seamless, has an app, want, you know, is automated. And when we, you know, talking about, uh, we built aquaponic systems for schools and we had one that had a, a, a full app. It, you could just uh, basically run it and you just press some buttons and it, it, it does the whole thing. But what we found out is that after we talked to the teachers, they said, well, the students aren't actually, you know, like working on the system because it does it for them. If it, you know, it, you know, it turns on by itself, lights turn on by itself. And they're like, you actually have to make it analog so they can go do the work to then learn the pieces of the system. Right. So it's, it's one of those things where we're after, and then when we said that we weren't, weren't going to do that, they're like, well, you spent all this time and effort to build it, but then, the, the, and, it, and you even said, it's like, then my customers use it less. And if they, they're not, if they're using it less, that means that down the line, they're not going to want to re-up on it. They're not going to want to get another version of it or another school is not going to want it. So it is, um, it is interesting to uh, always just put yourself into the, again, almost uh, I, I come back to the idea is like, try to put yourself out of business or try to figure out like what's wrong with your business before somebody else does or before a customer, you know, some, you know, a, a competitor yeah. fi finds that out and, and does something with it. Yeah. Um, so, it well, one of the things we talk about in the book, which you're, is exactly what you're alluding to is like the, the moment or in that, that, that moment of time when you're, when you believe you have validated your, you know, your, your, whatever it is you're trying to validate your next step before going to scale is trying to disprove yourself. Like why might you not be right so that you don't get caught, you know, not prepared down the road. Right. And, and so it, it's not a long process, but it's a process of saying, okay, looking at this thing and say, I've gone at this with like, why am I right? I'm trying to prove myself right along. Okay. I'm right now. Like, let's be honest with ourselves. Like what, what, what could I be missing here? Because if I go on with blinders on, the likelihood is I'm going to find myself down the road and it's going to be maybe too late to fix some problem I could have, you know, had the potential to, you know, see ahead of time. Mm -hmm. and, and, and again, it's one of those things where before you spend a lot of money trying to validate something, before you try to build these huge systems and huge, you know, uh, products, you know, go test if you can do it the most, uh, again, MVP, minimal viable product, minimal marketable product kind of a thing. And, uh, um, and without having to put in huge amounts of capital, um, and, and necessarily wasted on a direction that, um, just doesn't, doesn't work. You want to go again, validate it and so forth. And, and I think that, so do you think investors, or at least some of the savvy ones understand the learning roadmap versus the product roadmap, or is it still something that it's like, you really like it's you really got to kind of uh, teach them about why this is important versus kind of like the hard product roadmap. Yeah, I think they probably fall into multiple buckets. There, there are those that have either been investing for a long time um, and have been hands on, so they understand it. There are those that come from an operating background that you know some of which large percentage of which will understand it. I think that there's definitely people, you know, investors you have to educate that that it's just harder to do that with. And then I think there are investors that don't get it at all. I and mean, that's, you know, I, I, and there's probably a few other buckets. What I think is, you know, maybe more important from the entrepreneur perspective is regardless of what the investor may or may not currently understand to present, to, to be driving, this is what we do and how we do it and how we think. And, and there's a the way to vet the investor. Like if that investor can't comprehend that you don't have all the answers as an early stage company, and that they can't comprehend that you're that some of your hypotheses might be wrong, and you're gonna your intention is to validate them through this learning process. Um, tease that, see if you can like push it and see if you can tease that early on, out early on. Because if they're if they're a hands-on investor that doesn't comprehend that, you probably don't want to take their money because they end up creating a bunch of challenges for you that shouldn't be there when you should just be focused on building your business. Exactly. Yep. It's one of those things where sometimes the money doesn't, um, doesn't always accelerate the business, but maybe sometimes slows it down. Right. Um, and it, and yep. it's, it's not, it, and again, sometimes you have to walk away from it. Um, and, and that's, uh, well, it's, it's a hard yeah, thing. I mean, it's, it's a hard a, thing to do sometimes. It's a, it's a slightly different topic than, than what we're talking about. But I think my experience is that raising capital more often than not will kill your business and being forced to figure things out and understand the mechanics and the economics of your business early on are gonna set you up so, your percentage of being successful go up so, so much. And, you know, one of the things like, you know, even in my work at Techstars, you know, most of my peers are encouraging their companies to go raise as much money as they can coming right out of Techstars. I will support any company of mine that wants to do that. And I will encourage them to not do that always because what i want them to do is to figure out you know they will have 
a significant leg up if they understand the economics of their business and can point to a financial model that supports it, they will have a, a significant leg up at any stage in raising however much money they want. And if they put themselves in a position where there's some, you know, they have the ability to not die if they don't raise capital, even if it means scaling back, but they can actually survive because they have some, some revenue coming in on a regular basis with customers who love them. And I, I have so many examples of this in my portfolio, companies that like in that, that had they gone the traditional venture out, we're going to raise money or die, they would be out of business. Now, you know, four or five, six years later, our cash, you know, they, they're able to sustain themselves from a cash perspective. They're much, much stronger. And now the, the, the investment that's potentially coming in is significantly higher valuation. And by the way, they're, they still own a, a huge percentage of their company because they haven't raised any money to now. Mm -hmm. Which, yeah. which also means that the, the, for entrepreneurs at some point you want to take some, something off the table. Right. And that makes it so you can take more off the table and, and still again, have more, uh, more equity in, uh, in your pocket. Um, yep. so let, let's talk about like financials. Um, like we, we kind of mentioned it before, like technical debt of using other people's financials and, and so forth. And one thing that, um, you know, one thing that they don't teach in school or like the answer that they don't really teach in school is like, I don't know that answer, but I, I'm going to go find out, or I, you know, we, we don't know this, but here's the reason why it may, you know, here's some factors that may uh, address it. And so tell us why, like you need like a CEO or, you know, a founder needs to build their financial model from scratch and not necessarily, um, use somebody else's. Yeah, there's, there, there's at least two really important reasons. And I'll, I'll start with, with the one that I think is the most important, which is, and, and, and let me preface it with this, Rem, the, a reminder that your financial model is not meant to be a reporting tool of the past. It's supposed to be a crystal ball into the future. And regardless of the stage of your business, if, if the CEO doesn't intimately understand the, the deep mechanics of the business, it's going to make it significantly more challenging for them to actually run the business because they're going to instantly point to the easy things like we need more sales, but they won't understand the why sales are where they are, or we need better marketing, but they won't understand that, you know, we, we need a better, better messaging, but like you, you won't understand the deep nuance. So the reason why we believe it's important for the CEO or a key member of the founding team to build the model is because that way you 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 roll up your sleeves and you have this super deep understanding of the mechanics of your business. Maybe before you even built one line of code or have a business. And there's a great chance whatever you think is not right. That's not what's important. What's important is you're learning and getting closer to the correct mechanics of your business. Because as you get closer to the correct mechanics, you get closer to that repeatability that we keep talking about, which is your very, very cloudy crystal ball becoming less and less cloudy over time. Yeah. And, uh, and it is something too, is that like, um, you know, at early stages, again, revenue, you're like, I'll, yes, I'll take that money. Yes. I'll take that customer. I'll bring it in. And I know for, for, for my, uh, side of it is that we ended up building almost two different business units and completely different drivers, completely different levers. And it's like, it, it's, they're two businesses. They are two separate businesses. They go differently. They have different, and it's kind of like one of them is education focused. And then one of them was food production and, and value added, uh, you know, uh, food sales completely different, even though we were bringing, it's kind of interesting is that sometimes you sell one product to bring in money to then do something else, but then you end up getting, wow, this one brings in the majority of the revenue. So we need to really kind of, you know, get to the bottom of that. Um, and so again, financial models, I'm at the stage right now where, um, I'm, Honestly, after the book, we're scrapping it and we're starting from scratch, right? We're gonna we're gonna redo <laughs> it from and uh, and sometimes you have to do that. It it really is, um, and I think that that's something that a lot of businesses maybe this year they did and they they said, you know what, we're gonna kind of in light of everything that's happening, we're just gonna take it take a minute and let's start from scratch again and see where we can build with all the lessons learned, right, from the past years of the mistakes that we already made. So yeah, and I, I'm gonna throw I'm gonna throw this out there, and I'm gonna say it in a way that may not be true, but I want to say it anyway which is um, if you truly love what you do and you truly love your business and believe in your business, even if you have zero experience building a financial model and you're, and you're not good with getting into the, the nitty gritty details, 
you should love doing this work, right? It may be hard to start, but you should truly love it and be passionate about it. And I say should, meaning like, if you're not, you should like stop yourself and ask yourself whether you should keep building this business, because really this is what you're doing, right? This allows you, you, you should geek out. You should be like, this is so freaking amazing. Like, and I'm, you know, I'll give you, I'll give you, you know, I'm using myself as an example, but an example of this, um, we have a side business we haven't, you know, that we haven't talked about on the podcast yet, but that teaches the the leverage process to to founders and so we have our own business model here and um i i'm the one who you know has built the the model from scratch and you know we built the first model out and um i built the first model out and i was like you know almost done and you're never done right but almost done and ready to share it with my partners on it and um a total rookie mistake but my computer shut down and i lost it and I should have been frustrated, but actually, but actually I was not, I was psyched because there were a bunch of things in it that I'm like, oh, they're not the way that I want them to be, but I'm already 25 hours into this. Let me just see if I can make it work. It forced me to start over from scratch and build a better model. Um, and, and we did, we built a better model and had a lot more insight uh, into the business. And now, you know, I think we're like, I think eight or nine months from that model, maybe, yeah, maybe even closer to a year. And I'm ready to build another one because we're seeing how it's different than what we had anticipated. Um, and I'm, I, I really, my biggest challenge now is how do I carve out 30 hours to do it? Cause I, for me, that's what it'll probably take. Cause I'm not my area of expertise, but I'm excited to find that time and, and do it because now we, you know, I geek out on this, right. It's, it's, it's how we make money. So yep. we should be excited about it. A, yeah. a good whiteboarding session can really amp you up sometimes. Right. You know, and or right. amp you up for a week, you know, to, <laughs> to get that. Yeah. Set up. Yeah. One uh, one thing that actually kind of uh, again resonated with me uh, about the the financial uh, model was that there's no fixed cost um, in uh, for entrepreneurs, right? Because at the end of the day, if something happens, you will find a way out of that cost, right? You will figure a way out. I had to do it. We had a lease on a on a space last year, and we negotiated our way out of it, right? We got out. It cost us some money, but at the same time, it didn't cost us another three years of rent on that place, right? So it's just like you will find a way to get out of a fixed cost if you need to. So I, li- I like how it's just like don't because because again, those those traditional accounting classes or finance classes, I did go to business school. Those are the classes that I got woken up by the teacher. Okay. And I can remember very vividly, they were like, Hey, you want to answer this question? Well, hold on. What's going on? You know, kind of a thing like that's So, uh, um, that is, I like how sometimes you got to throw away, uh, nomenclature from, from something else and say, listen, don't, don't box yourself into saying these are always going to be consistent. You have to pay these costs. Like, no, figure out a way to, to, to reduce that overhead if you need to. Yeah. That's, that was another one of those things that the first time I heard Troy say it, I kind of like cock my head sideways and said, do I agree with that? I mean, and now having thought through it and heard him say it, you know, dozens of times, I completely do. That includes salaries, rent, like there is no such thing as a fixed cost in a, in a startup. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so again, it's, uh, this, this book is one where if you, if you are able to do it and kind of read through, just to get it, I'm always a sense of like where we're going, where, what's the whole process about? Like, so it's like, you know, now I can start from scratch. And again, good whiteboard ses- sessions and, and really kind of uh, uh, redo it. And uh, again, that's sometimes what you have to do. A business can be five, six, seven years old and say, listen, all right, we're going to take all the learnings that we had, all the mistakes, and let's start from scratch again. But this scratch is a little, it, it's still further ahead than where we, we had started. So yeah, for, for sure. And I think, you know, there's something that like, you, you've brought it up a few times and I've wanted to sort of jump in with something that I keep like, and then losing my own tra- train of thought, which is... It's really important, in my opinion, and actually in all the all of the so I have three co-authors on the book, as you know, um, in all of our opinions that this isn't done by the CEO in a vacuum. It's the entire leadership team who's working on this because there's a couple of other really important benefits that come out of working on this together. Um, predict, you know, predominantly around alignment, right? Like everyone feels like they're aligned, but everyone's, you know, like might be a little bit off from each other. And that's not a bad thing. That's actually really, really common. And so by going through each step in the process together, each step in the framework together, it, it creates this common language and communication and alignment around everything. So that when you're done, it's it, like everyone is in full agreement on the details, on the nitty gritty details, so that when they go off and do the things that they're supposed to go do, everyone knows the exact impact that it's going to have. 
which is, you know, what you're alluding to, like you're whiteboarding, you're not whiteboarding in a, in a room by yourself. You're there with your, you know, all your other senior leaders and key team members so that you are all working on the same thing in the same direction, using the same language. Mm-hmm. That is one thing that I've missed uh, the most about uh, the pandemic and we're getting back to it is like in-person whiteboarding sessions. Like let's get in a room, get some food. Like let's just be in here until, until we're done. And then you can go take a walk around the building then come back and let's, let's go. Like that type of energy is uh, it, it, it was, I know it was missed in my life. So, you know, there, yeah. there's that. Um, so, you know, uh, as we uh, kind of wrap up and you, you kind of alluded to it before you, uh, you guys actually take this, uh, take this book and you have a, a um, like a business actually implementing it with, with companies, because let's be real. Some companies need a little handholding. Not every, not every person can just read the book and kind of go, go forward with it. So question to you on, on that kind of front is that like, is there a certain type of business or uh, size business or stage of business that this works best in? Is it something where you got to want to think about a little bit differently when, when you're, you know, just starting out with just a concept in your head versus, Hey, we've, we've been in business five years. We've tested all these different products. We have revenue, you know, how does that shake out? Yeah. So, so the answer is it's our belief that it, it, that you can apply the same exact framework to any business at any stage. So we think it applies, we believe it applies to it. And I mean, any type of business, I'm talking bar, real estate agent, and, and we've worked with, those are two real examples we work with that, you know, have gotten great success out of the work, your typical venture back tech company, it, it works consumer B2B. Um, that being said, we, uh, so we have the, in the, the, some of the, the, the frameworks work a little bit differently. So this framework I teach inside of Techstars and I do it differently than our, than our business RetroCause, which works with other companies. And so RetroCause, um, we, you know, we work with, a, I don't want to say later stage companies because we also work with companies that will never be venture back businesses that will never be venture back, like a, you know, a bar that's looking to go to two or three locations or a real estate agent looking to go from a, you know, a, a sole proprietor to a staff. Um, but the thing that make that we, the, the kind of business we work with are businesses that are generating revenue already, that they, they have a, um, a line of sight to, you know, six months to a year of runway in the bank minimum. And the reason is, and it's really more like six, you know, nine months to a year. Um, when we work with those companies, we want them to be focused on working on this and not be distracted about how am I going to make payroll or I'm in the middle of a fundraise. Those are not good times because they're, they're splitting. So you may be preparing for a fundraise in nine months or a year from now, work on it now. This will set you up for that. Um, but to, so to answer your question more directly, we, we look to when we work with RetroCause, we look to work with companies that are generating revenue. They're not stressed about running out of cash. They're just looking to find repeatability in their business. And then at Techstars, it's an earlier stage company, and I approach all the workshops uh, a little bit differently with them. Very cool. So, um, so as we kind of wrap up, any you know, obviously, you know, uh, you have a, a lot of good uh, tips uh, and workshops and stuff in, in the book. And you know, again, go everybody, go uh, check it out. And um, you know, no audio version, <laughs> only only the imprint version. Um, but has uh, over the past year, or you know, kind of working through the pandemic with uh, the accelerator and through this business and everything. Any new tips or tricks that you have for people starting a business or or business owners that are kind of in the in the thick of it um, that kind of have kind of bubbled up for you? Uh, I don't know that I have new tips or tricks. I think, you know, if anything, I think I I leaned way heavier into you know my beliefs because I've now seen them work under duress of the last you know fifteen months, which is you know, go, jumping to the appendix, which, you know, we don't talk about, but like our belief is if you don't have a very clear vision and mission in your head, right? Maybe you don't articulate well, that's okay, but in your head and then use a, a dis- the discipline of a process to, you know, see whether or not your vision can become a reality. I think it's really important to have that discipline um, now more than ever, but I, but I don't know that my thought process there has changed. So I don't know if I have anything new, but just a stronger belief that discipline around a series of, or a process or framework that gets you to understanding how to get to repeatability, whether you use the levers framework or not, we actually don't care. We even say that in the book. I say it at Techstar. It's like, I don't care if you believe this, believe something. Here's, here's a way to start. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think uh, people, I, it's getting venturing. A lot of people either they're, they're like, I'm doubling down on my beliefs because I've again, seen it under duress or yeah, I have to scrap this because it didn't hold up <laughs> in these crazy times. It just didn't hold up and you can't count on it, you know, moving forward. So um, yeah. it's, a, it's okay to double down sometimes, right? As, as long as you uh, have that belief and you, and you want to kind of uh, move forward with it. So. Yeah. And it, it totally just have the, you know, have the, um, have the data to back up that the reason you're doubling down is, is accurate. Not just because your gut is telling you, or if your gut is telling you, what are the points that you can pour, pour, what in your gut says that it's validated? And if it's not, what can you do to validate it before you double down and find yourself in, in the wrong direction too far? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, cool. Well, Hey, Amos, I really appreciate it. Um, you know, uh, coming on and talking about the, your new book. So again, for everybody, the book is called levers, the framework for building repeatability into your business. And, um, and then your, again, your, your business that you do on the side right now. So if anybody uh, is listening that you kind of think you fit into this mold, um, where should they go to connect with you about that or to, to find the book and everything? Yeah, there's really two places, but the easiest place to tell you is just to go to leversbook.com and there's a there's a place on the website where you can uh, get more information or get in touch with us, leversbook.com. All right, very cool. Well, Amos, again, thank you very much for uh, for joining us. And uh, again, uh, look forward to, uh, to interacting with you in the future. Yeah, good, good to see you, Eric. Thank you so much for having me. When starting a podcast, one step in the journey is landing a sponsorship. And in 2021, CT Startup is thankful to have two sponsors. One of those sponsors is Connecticut Innovations, or as some people know it, CI, an organization that has been a key player in turning Connecticut into a hub for innovation. In 2020, Bloomberg ranked Connecticut as the fourth most innovative economy in the country. And CI is one of those organizations here in Connecticut that can take credit for that ranking. CI is Connecticut's strategic venture capital arm and is the leading source of financing and ongoing support for innovative, growing companies. By offering equity investments, strategic guidance, and introductions to valuable partners, they are enabling promising businesses to thrive. For more information on how Connecticut Innovations can work with your company, please visit their website, www.ctinnovations.com. Thank you for listening to CT Startup. More Connecticut startup news, information, and events can be found at ctstartup.com. The weekly episodes of this podcast can be downloaded from iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and ctstartup.com. See you next week.